following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I think I'd like to ask Mr. Producer if you would do another song for us. Uh, There's a song, Washed in the Blood. Would you put that on? Let's enjoy that. Then I'll come back with the message. Bright. 
Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, sin-destroying power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Being washed in the blood of the Lamb is not a quick or easy process. Now, it doesn't need to take months. I don't mean an extended period of time, but I do mean days and perhaps weeks. You see, until you begin to understand the danger you live in, you will have no real interest in spending the time and energy necessary to enter in at that narrow gate. Remember, Jesus said, Enter ye at the straight gate, or the, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many be there which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow or compressed, compressed, pressed together, squeezing is the way which leads into life, and few there be that find it. Today, the assumption seems to be that everybody who names the name of Jesus is on their way to heaven. In that case, a large number of Americans would have an easy shoe-in at the kingdom of God, and that's simply not the case. So until we begin to recognize the desperate need of our situation, until we begin to pray through and look in the scriptures and search for those deep secrets of what it means to be holy and how to gain that holiness, not by legalism and not by ritual, but by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, until we begin to understand this, we cannot enter that narrow gate. It is not the broad way. It is not expansive and spread out. It's very narrow. And part of the problem that I have in coming day by day on this broadcast is that I speak these words of warning and great love and compassion and mercy but many of you just let it pass on by because you don't sense any real need in your heart to begin crying out to God. One dear brother who has been listening to this broadcast for now several years, his life has been totally changed. And constantly he is, when we speak, asking about prayer because he finally recognizes the desperate need of his life for the lost in his family and for the lost in New York City that he pray. But along with his eagerness to pray has been a continual searching on his part of reading the scriptures, of praying, of knocking on the door of heaven, and he sent me this incredible text early in the week saying, Thank you, thank you for your prayers because Jesus gave me a dream. 
without quoting exactly, in his dream he was told very clearly that he could live according to the scriptures above sin and wickedness. It was a great affirmation to him of entry into that gate. Well, he spent a great deal of time, energy, and money entering into that narrow gate. It is not a place you just casually walk through on your way to the carnival. It is a straight and narrow road. It is a road of great pain and anguish and a road of great suffering, piercings. But it's also a road of immense joy, a road of celebration, a road of rejoicing in the gift of being permitted to travel on that narrow path. Now, John Bunyan, in his wonderful allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, actually considered the number one allegory in the English language, I'm going to be sharing some of his thoughts about this process of entry into that narrow gate and what needs to happen as soon as we've entered into that narrow gate. I'm going to share from the edition edited by C.J. Lovick. He has given me permission to use it on the air, for which I'm very grateful. Now we find Pilgrim, or Christian, being very aware of his desperate need to enter through this small narrow gate. And he stands at that gate knocking and knocking and knocking, saying, May I now enter? Will he within open to pitiful me? Well, until you consider your condition pitiful, until you have recognized that you are an undeserving rebel, until you have made a clear determination that you will sing the lasting praises on high of Jesus Christ. You will not be allowed to enter. Bunyan says that at last a very serious person came to the gate, whose name was Goodwill. And Goodwill asked who was there and from where he came and what he wanted. Those are very important questions. Do you want the Christian faith simply as your culture? Or do you want the Christian faith as your living experience entering into salvation? The casual will not enter. The selfish will not be able to enter. This is Christian's response. I am a poor, burdened sinner. Well, if you're still walking in known sin and rebellion against God, are you a poor burdened sinner consciously, or have you just pushed that out of your mind and out of your heart, and now you're ready to dance in and head to the carnival? And frankly, many worship services in Washington, D.C. are but carnivals. You've got a huckster standing in front, He's doing the full show and entertainment. The band is going. The strobe lights are flashing. People are dancing on stage. I mean, you've come to the carnival. They have completely sanitized from any confr uh, confrontation with the cross. They've made it very pleasing to the sinner. Well, until you're willing to recognize the burden of sin on your back, until you recognize that you come from the city of destruction, even if it's a church of destruction, until you're very clear in your heart that you are going to pursue going to Mount Zion, to the New Jerusalem, you cannot enter that narrow gate. And he asks, are you willing to let me in? See, 
He did not, Bunyan's gospel would not allow him to assume that everyone was willing and freely welcomed into the narrow gate. That's simply not true, either in Scripture or in the writings of John Bunyan, who was a Reformed Baptist. It's simply not what he believed. It's not what the Scriptures teach. There has to be a a recognition of great need before we are allowed to enter into that narrow gate. Now, all roads end up at the same place. Whether you take the broad way or the narrow way, all the roads are going to end up in the same place. They're going to end up at the judgment bar of God. Sin is punished by death. If you do not see your danger, you will not be interested in the narrow path. But the narrow path ends up in life. The wages of sin are death. Whether you think you are a Christian or not, the wages of sin are death. You cannot be covered by the blood of Jesus and continue to walk in wickedness before God. There must come a deep heartbroken seriousness about my position before God. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you cannot just casually waltz in before him on your way to the carnival. It doesn't work like that. Search the scriptures. Matthew 7, 13 through 16. And Jesus in that passage says, Beware of false prophets. Who are the false prophets? They are the ones who tell you you can waltz into the Christian faith, have a lot of fun, enjoy all the benefits, and when you die, your sin will be taken away. They're lying to you. We must deal now with our heart's condition. Now, part of what I struggle with, to be very frank with you today, are those who get their eyes off the crucifixion of Jesus and begin to judge a brother or a sister and break fellowship because of those judgments, unfounded judgments, but Suddenly we think we're on the narrow path and we have the right to turn and judge a brother or a sister. We have the right to demand that they conform to what we expect them to conform to. And the gossip and the judgments begin to fly. It's wickedness. When we come to this narrow gate, we must lay down our own lives and we must now begin to allow Jesus to educate us in newness of life now the first place this man of goodwill who lets Christian through that narrow gate the first place he begins to send him is to the house of the Holy Spirit. And he says, after Christian departed, that is, departed from the gate, he went on until he came to the house of the interpreter, or the Holy Spirit, where he knocked over and over. Now, you'll find this theme all through Pilgrim's Progress. That's why I said at the beginning, this is not a quick and easy process. When he is crying out over his condition that he recognizes as he's a part of the city of destruction, it's day after day he cries out for deliverance. It's day after day that he seeks an answer to his soul's condition. And finally, evangelist is sent to him. 
In other words, a part of this journey is going to demand insistence on my part. It's going to have to demand that I not just take for granted that I'm one of the righteous and waltz into the carnival. It's going to demand the cross. It's going to demand that I take seriously the work of the Holy Spirit to expose the fullness of my wickedness. And so we find that that finally, after Evangelist directs him, the first thing Pilgrim does is fall into the swamp of despair. And Pliable says, I've had it. I'm out of here. I'm going back to the city of destruction. This journey is not for the pliable. This journey is not for the obstinate. This journey is not for the judgmental. This journey is for those men and women who are willing to lay down their lives and their pride and their religious arrogance and begin to earnestly seek Jesus Christ with all of their heart. He said, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Now, Jesus is not playing hide-and-go-seek with us, but he is wanting to know the intensity of our desire because he knows what the journey is going to take on our part. And frankly, had I known what the journey was going to demand of me, I would have spent a great deal more time at the beginning of my journey on my face before God being strengthened by the Spirit because frankly, as I entered in easily, the Holy Spirit had to come year after year and bring deep discipline into my life. I could have avoided much of that deep discipline had I earnestly sought him at the beginning and been brought in and introduced to the Holy Spirit. But some of us, we don't do it the easy way. We we always do it the hard way. And I'm one of those hardheads who had to do it the hard way. You don't have to do it the hard way. The hard way is refusing to really look at the desperate need of our hearts for the grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ to make us righteous. I didn't even know that Jesus would make me righteous as I started this journey. It was not until I was well along that I discovered that the, that the righteousness does not come by my works, by the law, because I was taught the law was what brought righteousness, that Jesus would help me, but I had to do my best first. It was illustrated by a boat a rowboat with one oar being labeled as grace and the other oar of the rowboat being labeled as works. Well, of course, that's absolutely heretical to the scriptures. That's not how a man receives righteousness. It is a, a free gift of grace, just as salvation is a free gift of grace. My sins are forgiven as a free gift of grace, and I receive righteousness likewise as a free gift of grace. But what I didn't know is that it requires understanding my condition of heart and turning in repentance to Jesus and allowing him to wash and cleanse me and make me into a righteous man. And frankly, it's not easy to die. What man willingly will lay down his life? Jesus. No one else. So we find the house of the Holy Spirit. And he's knocking over and over at the door of the Holy Spirit. He had to knock and knock as he came out of the city of destruction. Evangelist came. He had to knock and knock on the gate, the narrow gate. And the man of goodwill came and opened the gate for him. Now he's being directed to the Holy Spirit, and once more he's having to knock and knock and knock and wait on the Holy Spirit. Bunyan says, At last a man came to the door and asked who was there. 
And Christian told him, Sir, I'm a traveler who was told by an acquaintance of the good man of this house to come here for my profit. Therefore, I would like to speak with the master of the house. So the man called for the master of the house, and after a little time came to Christian. Whoa, again, he's waiting and waiting. Now, could I tell you something? I feel like most of my life in Christ has been waiting. Wait on the Lord, the scriptures say. Why? Well, because I'm inclined to just go do it myself. And it's humbling to wait on another to do what you think you can do for yourself. But what happened in my life is I finally came to the conclusion I could not do it. Only Jesus can do this work of grace and righteousness in a man or woman's heart. And so my greatest joy today is to wait upon Jesus. When I come into the prayer closet, I say, Lord Jesus, I'm waiting on you. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray, but I am waiting on you because I need you so desperately, Jesus. I go to the post office to see if there's anything there for the radio. And when nothing is there, I say, Jesus, I I rejoice in you. I will only receive from your hand what you give me. I will wait on you to pay the radio. I've learned that if I want to make progress in Jesus, I'm going to have to wait on Jesus. And he does this issue of waiting to test our hearts to see whether we will turn to our own devices and our own prejudice and our own designs or whether we will wait on him and let him do what he has promised he would do i.e. make us righteous take away our impatience take away our bitterness take away our anger take away our judgments fill our heart with love give us a heart of compassion and mercy toward those who don't understand yet the gospel The Lord has caused me to strike a very fine balance on this broadcast between just loving you and speaking Jesus to you and calling you to get serious about following him. Well, let me read for you the first thing the Holy Spirit shows Pilgrim. He said, Come in. I'll show you those things that will be profitable for you. So he commanded his servant to light the candle and then asked Christian to follow him to a private room. And there was a wall with a picture of a very grave person hanging on the wall. This is what the man in the picture looked like. He had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth written upon his lips, the world behind his back. He stood as if pleading with men, and a crown of gold hung over his head. Then said, Christian, what does this mean? And the man in the picture, he said, represents one of a thousand. He can't conceive children. I'm sorry, he can conceive children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. You see him with tears in his eyes, lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips, all this to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to the sinners. You see him pleading with men, and the world cast behind him, and a crown hanging over his head, to show you that by rejecting and despising the things of this present world for the love that he has for his master's service, He is sure to have glory as his reward in the world to come. Now this picture represents the only man authorized by the Lord of the palace where you are going 
to be your guide in all the difficult places you will encounter on the way. So pay attention to what I've shown you and keep this picture foremost in your mind so that if you meet with someone who doesn't resemble this picture's likeness, who has pretended to lead you in the right way, but if you follow, if he doesn't look like this picture, will take you down to destruction. Well, obviously this description fits a godly pastor. A man or woman of God who is utterly sold out to Jesus Christ, authorized, called, commissioned by the Lord to be a guide for men and women to that eternal palace. That's who evangelist was. This pastor conceives children, travails in birth, nurses them himself when they are born, and calls men and women to walk in Jesus Christ. Now, if your pastor stands in the pulpit and opens his sermon with jokes, with humor, with praise for men, backslapping, entertainment, you will know he is not this man. He is a man, rather, that will lead you into darkness. I spoke with a pastor just very recently. He'd had a church of some 600 members. It had grown very fast. He was very profitable. And then they moved locations. And this pastor had to deal with some very real issues. And his congregation was blessed down to about 50 people. And I said to him, which church would you rather have? And he said, I would rather have the 50. Why? Well, because I don't have to pretend with the 50. I don't have to put on a show. I can just speak God's truth. Well, I think it's possible to have a church of 600 or 6,000 and still speak the honest truth. David Wilkerson did that for many years at Times Square Church. But indeed, it is a very difficult task because people want the popular word of God. And if that is not delivered, they call you a legalist, a doom and gloom man. They ridicule you. But our eyes are on Jesus, not on the crowds. Well, next, the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him to a very large parlor. It was full of dust. It had never been swept, it appeared. The interpreter, or the Holy Spirit, called for a man to come and sweep. And so he began to sweep, and the dust began to fly everywhere. It was so thick that Christian began to choke. Then the interpreter said to one of the servants, Bring water and sprinkle the room. And then it was swept clean, very pleasantly. And Christian said, Well, what does this mean? And the interpreter answered, This parlor is the heart of a man that has never been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his sin inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man. The first man that began to sweep is the law. The second brought water and sprinkled. It is the gospel of Jesus. You saw that as soon as the first man began to sweep, the dust filled the room. The law, instead of cleansing the heart from sin, actually revives, increases, and adds strength to the sin. Even though the law uncovers and forbids sin, it is powerless to conquer it or to subdue it. And then you saw the second servant sprinkle the, the room with water, and then it was pleasantly cleansed. This is to show you the way in which the gospel comes into the heart with its sweet and precious influence. And of course, we know in Scripture that grace is a precious and sweet influence 
of the Holy Spirit toward righteousness. The sin is cleared from the heart. Sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean through faith, consequently fit for the King of glory to inhabit. He then took him to a, another room and there were two little children in that room. Each child had a chair. One was passion and the other was patience. Passion seemed to be very discontent, but patience was very quiet and humble. What is the reason for this discomfortment of passion? Well, the interpreter said their guardian would have them wait for the best things until the beginning of next year. Passion wants it all now, but patience said they would wait. And I saw that someone came to Passion and brought him a, a bag of treasures, pouring it all out at his feet. Passion picked up the treasures, rejoicing and laughing Passion or Patience to scorn. But as I watched for a while, all the treasures began to rust and mold. And then there was nothing left of the treasure but rust and rags. The interpreter said the two young boys are, are figures, passion of the men of this world and patience, the men of the world which is to come. You saw passion wanted to have it all right now, this year. In other words, the men of the world want all their good things right now. They cannot wait for their portion of good for the next world. But as you saw, passion quickly wasted all of his treasures away and soon was left with nothing but rags. So will it be with all such men at the end of this world. They will have but dust and rags. Oh, now I see that patience was the wisest for several reasons, said Christian. First, because he waited for the best things. Second, because... We will have the glory of his reward when the other has nothing but rags and dust. Yes, the glory of the next world will never wear out, whereas the treasures that passion received are suddenly gone. And as it turns out, passion had no reason to laugh at patience just because he had his good things first. In the end, it's patience who will laugh because he will have the best. The last things will finally come, and when they do, nothing will succeed or replace them. He that has his good things in this world spends and uses them up in time, but he that has his good things last has them forever. Now, the interpreter continued. He took him to a fireplace. And there were flames. The fire was burning. And the flames grew larger and hotter. Even though there was someone coming in and constantly throwing water on the fire, trying to quench it. And Christian said, what's, what's this mean? Well, the fire is the work of grace that God accomplishes in the heart. He who throws water on the flames to try to extinguish it is the devil. But as you see, the fire burns higher and hotter despite his efforts to put it out. Now let me show you the reason for it. So he took Christian to the other side of the wall. And there was a man with a vessel of oil in his hand from which he secretly funneled oil into the fire. What does that mean? Well, he said, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. No matter what the devil tries to do, the gracious work that Christ is doing in the souls of his people only increases you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. 
that is to teach you that it is hard for the one being tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. (laughs) How true. I would have turned away from this walk of grace many times except the Jesus coming and pouring in oil into my life and the flames then burst out in even greater strength and power. I cannot claim in myself any success in this Christian walk. It is wholly by the grace of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Either he has kept me in this walk or I would have left. And frankly, many times I tried to leave. I tried to stop preaching. I've even tried to stop doing this broadcast. But the oil of Jesus comes flowing through the Holy Spirit. And the flame of God's truth rises in my heart. So that even though I come often to this broadcast wishing I could just sit and weep over you, you will not allow. Instead, he says, let me pour on the oil and the fire grows hotter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you are doing in my life and in my heart that I cannot turn away from you. I will not turn away from you, Jesus. Though all men should turn away and castigate and criticize, I will not turn away because the oil Jesus pours into my life flames into fire. Do you bear that same testimony today? Are you aware today of the fire of God burning in your heart? Do you recognize it is not you, but it is Jesus himself who has come to keep you in the walk of faith and trust? In spite of the trials, in spite of the disappointments, in spite of the criticisms, even from those you love the most, You're going to walk faithfully before Jesus. For he is the one who holds you in righteousness. Others may accuse you of sin and grieving the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who holds you. No one can take you out of his hand. Only you can choose to turn against Jesus. I choose not to ever turn against my Lord, for he has carried me. Now there is one last lesson that he is to learn. The interpreter or the Holy Spirit took Christian by the hand and led him into a a pleasant place where there was built a stately palace beautiful to look at. Christian was greatly delighted. He saw people clothed in gold walking on top of the thick palace walls, and Christian said, May we go into the palace? The interpreter took him and led him toward the door of the palace, and there Christian saw a great company of men standing at the palace door, all desiring to go in, but few daring to. A little distance from the door there was a man sitting at a table with a book open before him. He was writing the names of those who wished to enter the palace. Christian saw in the doorway many armed men who were determined to inflict as many injuries and wounds as they could on anyone trying to enter that palace. Christian was amazed. At last... Every man retreated back for fear of the armed men. Christian saw a man with a very determined look on his face come up to the man sitting at the table and say, Set down my name, sir. Have you asked the man with the book of life to write your name in the Lamb's book of life? Have you set absolutely determined in your course that you will enter into righteousness? 
that you will, regardless of the cost, enter into the presence of Jesus and enter that glorious palace on high. Well, this man, as soon as his name was written in the book, he drew his sword, he put on a helmet upon his head, and all of these things were on the table, everything that was necessary for the battle, and he rushed toward the armed men at the door who tried to stop him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, began cutting and hacking most fiercely at his attackers. After he had received and given many wounds to those who would attempt to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace. And Christian heard a pleasant voice from those who were inside the palace, even those who walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory, you shall win. So the determined man went in and was clothed with gold. Christian smiled and said, I think I know what this means. And I think it's time for me to continue my journey. No, said the interpreter, stay until I've shown you a little more. And after that, you can go on your way. So he took Christian by the hand and led him to a very dark room where a man sat in an iron cage. The man in the cage seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down at the ground. His hands were folded together. He sighed as if his heart would break. Then Christian asked, What does this mean? Instead of answering, the interpreter said, Why don't you talk to the man? So Christian said to the man, Who are you? The man answered, I'm not who I used to be. Well, who did you used to be? The man said, I was once fair and flourishing in my profession of faith in Jesus, both in my own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I was once even thought deserving of the celestial city and was full of joy as I considered going there. Well, who are you now? I'm now a man of despair. And it surrounds me as does this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot get out. But how did you come to be in this condition? Well, I stopped being watchful and diligent. I rushed after my own lusts. I sinned against the light of the world and the goodness of God. I grieved the Holy Spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to take me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left it. Christian turned to the interpreter, and he said, Is there no hope for such a man as this? Well, ask him. So Christian asked the man, Is there no hope? Must you be kept in the iron cage of despair? No hope at all, none at all. But consider this, the Son of the Blessed is full of pity. The man protested, I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood as an unholy thing. I have insulted the Spirit of grace. Therefore I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains for me nothing but this threatening, dreadful judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour me as an adversary. Well, how did you bring yourself into this condition? I promised myself much delight from the lust and pleasures and profits of the world, but now every one of those things wound me and gnaws at me like a burning worm, but I can't, I can't repent. But Christian said, no, you can repent. You can turn away from those things. The man said, God has denied me repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. He himself has shut me up in this iron cage, and all the men in the world do not have the power to let me out. 
Oh, how will I deal with the misery of hell? The interpreter said to Christian, Remember this man's misery, and let it be an everlasting caution to you. Well, Christian said, This is fearful. May God help me to watch and be sober and pray that I may that I may avoid the cause of this man's misery. But, sir, isn't it time for me to get on the journey toward the celestial city? Isn't it time for you to get on the journey to the celestial city? Isn't it time to be holy? Isn't it time to be holy? Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, isn't it time for us to be made holy? To be aware of our cold hearts? To be made aware of all sin? Isn't it time for us to repent and be asked to be revived by your Spirit? I know, Lord, there is yet time for every man and woman listening to this broadcast, for you said, Today is the day of salvation. Lord, today is the day of salvation. Lord, I know that there are men and women listening to this broadcast today. were caught in an iron cage but they can repent and they can find their way to you by your grace and your mercy for you would not condemn a man who would repent Lord I thank you I praise your holy name in the name of Jesus Amen You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I pray this sober message has both frightened you and encouraged you. It is time to be holy. Would you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? There you'll find podcasts and sermons and much that can help you. You'll also find a donate button. We're at the end of the month and we're a long way from being able to pay the radio bill. I almost did an offertory today. But the Lord said, wait. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195? I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to visit the prayer chapel, we're located at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find directions. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of